Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Party started episode 85. How do you like that? Of Sorallo Sports Talk coming to you live for the next hour on your national airwaves right here, right now. And we've got a jam packed show. Former Houston Astro and former 2005 World Series hero against the Houston Astros. Jeff Blum going to be joining me shortly. We've got plenty of football to get to. The Packers, Bucks, Patriots, all three and four all in disarray. We've got running backs on the move, the trade deadline less than a week away. Going to touch on it all. But first, let's talk a little baseball because the Fall Classic is now 48 hours away. The Philadelphia Phillies, 87 wins, the sixth seed in the National League. First time there's ever been a sixth seed in either league for the MLB playoffs, not counting, of course, that Mickey Mouse shortened, abbreviated, whatever the hell you want to call it, 2020 COVID season. In the first year of the six-team expanded playoffs, you've got a sixth seed in the World Series going up against Goliath, the one seed in the American League. Second most wins in baseball, but you can argue the best, most complete all-around team in the league all year, the 106-win dynasty Houston Astros. Six straight ALCS appearances, four World Series appearances now in the last six years, but looking for their second World Series win, Dusty Baker looking for his first World Series win, the most managerial wins in MLB history without being the last team standing at the end of the day in early November. Man, oh man, I can't wait for this series. The Philadelphia Phillies are playing to a T the exact branding image of what 2022 baseball is. All or nothing baseball. They are knocking the ball out of the park. They're doing exactly what that lineup was constructed to do. Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, your 2022 National League home run leader. Reese Hoskins has found his groove. He had a couple huge clutch instrumental home runs in that NLCS against the Padres. JT Real Muto doing his thing, whether he's hitting it over the fence or inside the park, rounding the bases. I mean, that Phillies lineup is doing exactly what those guys were signed to do, and they are mashing. I didn't even mention Nick Castellanos. He's had some clutch hits. Always scares me when he's up to bat, which, you know, which catastrophic world event is going to take place when Nick Castellanos hits a home run. But that Phillies lineup, I mean, there's not an easy out top to bottom. You even get to the bottom of that lineup. Guys like Gene Segura, who, you know, are no stranger to being a 300 hitter, right? Bryson Stott is not an easy out. Alec Bohm had a great year. This Phillies lineup is eerily similar to the 2021 Atlanta Braves, in my opinion, right? Don't forget, I know now the Braves, they won 101 games this year, obviously had that crazy finish, the race with the Mets to overtake them, win the tiebreaker, and ultimately win the National League East. But this year... While we all expected it from the Atlanta Braves, while they were heavy favorites start to finish, don't let that make you forget about last year. A Braves team that won just 88 games. One more game than these Philadelphia Phillies. That was good enough, though, last year to win the National League East. That Braves team last year, much like this Phillies team this year, had no business in the minds of many making it to, let alone winning, the World Series. And this Phillies team is constructed... Very similarly. Now, the one argument you can make is obviously Philly right now 
is constructed of a lot of free agents, right? Castellanos, Schwarber, Harper, Real Muto. These were all big signings Philly made, whereas Atlanta has a lot more homegrown power. Guys like Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna. Uh, you know, last year, looking at the World Series team, Freddie Freeman was their first baseman. He was a homegrown Atlanta guy, right? So there's differences there, but it's still the all-or-nothing, you know, masher lineup. Don't forget, last year, Atlanta brought in some guys at the trade deadline, like Rosario, Jock Peterson, Marcelo Zuna, guys who no one expected would be huge, huge instrumental pieces in their, you know, October Power World Series run with, you know, living and dying, but ultimately living by the long ball, right? So this Philly team constructed very, in, in my opinion, eerily similarly to that Atlanta team of a year ago. Now, some differences, I think this Philly team actually might have better starting pitching, or at least at the top of the rotation. I mean, you've got Zach Wheeler, who since Brody Van Wagnon decided he wasn't worth uh, the contract he was ultimately seeking, has gone to Philly and done nothing but turn in Cy Young caliber after Cy Young caliber season, and now his four years with Philadelphia. You've got Aaron Nola atop that rotation with him, who some days looks like a Cy Young caliber pitcher in and of his own right. Other days, a little more susceptible to getting shelled than Zach Wheeler is. But still, when he's on, that's as formidable a one-two punch as exists in Major League Baseball. And then you got their three-starter, right? Ranger Suarez, who really came on in the second half this season, has proved to be a pretty dominant left-handed starting pitcher, and is still such a young kid that there is still such a high ceiling and so much potential for his MLB career. Now you look at the Houston Astros, right? Back-to-back World Series appearances last year, obviously, were favorites against the Braves, lost to the Braves. You look at this Astros roster, and this has to be, top to bottom, 1-26, to the most well-constructed, stacked, talented, flawless roster I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've seen the Dodgers just this year win 111 games. The Mariners 20 years ago win 116. Last year, the Giants won 107. This 106-win Astros team, I think, is the best baseball team I have ever seen. There is not an easy out in the lineup going down from, you know, obviously the top of it, Altuve. Jeremy Pena stepped in replaced Carlos Correa and the massive shoes he left behind to fill. And what did Pena do? Oh yeah, he just won the ALCS MVP. He's had a torrid hot postseason, hit the 18th inning home run in Seattle in game three to send the Mariners packing after their incredible season. Pena's been incredible. You've got Alvarez in that three slot who in a normal year would probably win an MVP award, but this year you only had Shohei Otani do what's never been done, you know, top five ERA, one of the best hitters in the game. And then Aaron Judge set the American League record with 62 home runs. So Alvarez will probably finish third in the MVP voting. All the way down to, you know, McCormick had some clutch hits, plays a great center field. Martin Maldonado, strictly a defensive guy, had some big hits, has had big hits all postseason. The Astros do not have an easy out in that lineup. And when it comes down to pitching, Justin Verlander at 39 years old, after missing nearly two full seasons because of Tommy John surgery, is a shoe-in at 18-4 and four with a 175 ERA to win the American League Cy Young. Justin Verlander had a terrible start game one of the ALDS against Seattle. I said last week on this show he was going to right the ship. Game one was last Wednesday, a week ago against the Yankees. What did he do? Allowed one run, six innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. He wrote the damn ship. I mean, Justin Verlander's been incredible. You've got Framber Valdez, who had a hell of a season. I mean, I think was second in the majors in complete games, only to Sandy Alcantara down in Miami. 
You've got Lance McCullers Jr., a guy who, whether it's been as a starter or a reliever, has pitched in big-time moments. Game 7 hero for the Astros 2017. Christian Javier has had moments where he's lights out. And then you get into this bullpen, right? Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy, two phenomenal starters for the Astros this season who can come in for an inning or come in for five innings and shove right out of the pen. Hector Neris, the former Philadelphia Philly, he's been great. He's found his groove in Houston. Rafael Montero, former failed starter for the Mets. He's one of the best seventh, eighth inning guys in baseball now. Ryan Stanek, Ryan Presley, who spins the ball as their ninth inning guy better than anyone in the league. You go up and down this Houston Astros roster. There is nothing but winners across the entire roster. Christian Vasquez, who is ultimately their backup catcher because they love so much what Maldonado brings to the defensive side of things. Christian Vasquez is one of the best catchers in baseball, one of the best offensive. I would say a top 10 offensive catcher in baseball, and he's been essentially the backup for Houston. Trey Mancini's platooning in and out as a DH. He over the past five, six years has been a tremendous hitter in this league. I mean, the Astros do not have a flaw whether it's in their lineup, their rotation, their bullpen, or their bench. And I think ultimately, that's what's going to do it for the Houston Astros. I think ultimately, that's why the Houston Astros are going to win their first World Series since 2017, their second World Series in franchise history, the first World Series of Dusty Baker's historic Hall of Fame managerial career. The Houston Astros are going to be champions because at the end of the day, While this Philadelphia Phillies run has been nothing shy of magical, and to some may be eerily reminiscent of last year's Braves, maybe even the 2019 Nationals, I think ultimately it's going to finish a little more like the 2015 Mets, a team that goes into the postseason with the fewest wins in its respective league, gets hot at the right time, does some incredible things along the way, but ultimately just comes up a little short. The Astros are too damn good. It's going to be Stroh's in six for this year's Fall Classic. When we come back, we're going to talk a little football. And then former Astro Jeff Blum is going to join the show. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. Back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. lot to get to still. Jeff Blum, former Houston Astro, former 2005 World Series hero, is going to join the show. But we can't talk all baseball for the hour that I get with you guys this week. We've got to talk a little football because the... Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the two teams that were in the NFC Conference Championship game just two years ago up in Lambeau, two teams that have men who people argue uh, are the two most accomplished quarterbacks active currently in the National Football League. Can't say they're the best anymore. You just can't. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they obviously are. But Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, incredible careers. Brady with all the rings. Rodgers with all the accolades and the best touchdown interception ratio any of us have ever seen. And they are absolutely faltering right now. Both teams, three and four. Both quarterbacks, visibly unhappy. You've got Tom Brady on one end, smashing Microsoft Surface tablets, chewing out his teammates on what seems like a weekly basis, getting in his offensive linemen's faces, telling them they're not good enough. And then you've got Aaron Rodgers going on the Pat McAfee show. For his weekly Aaron Rodgers Tuesday slot and saying that the Green Bay Packers are making too many mental errors, upwards of 10 mental errors a game, and that guys whose heads aren't in the right places need to start losing reps, that certain guys that are playing shouldn't be playing. I mean, I don't know what's worse, getting in your your teammates' faces on national TV when the cameras are on the sideline and eviscerating them in front of the country, or doing it behind their backs. 
going on a, a national show, one of the most popular shows, if not the most popular show in the country, and saying that guys should lose their jobs and guys should not be playing anymore. Both of these quarterbacks really showing some true colors. And both, you know, ironically in late stages of their careers, where the question more so for Brady than Rodgers is, are they the problem? Should they still be doing this? Are they hurting their team by going out there and playing? And no, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is hurting the Green Bay Packers by going out there on Sundays. I still think he's incredibly talented. I still think he's easily a top 10 quarterback. If not, you know, you want to make the argument and sit down and debate it. You could say top five. That's a conversation for a different day. But Tom Brady, he's lost a little zip on that ball. Tom Brady's lost a little something. And we all know, obviously, he's not mobile, never has been, never will be. He's, what, 45 years old? That's not so much on him. But in today's era of quarterbacks, you know, you just saw Matt Ryan get benched. And he's had a couple games where he's eclipsed 350 yards, multiple touchdowns this season. He just got benched for the year on an Indianapolis team that's playing 500 ball. It's only a game out of first place because Matt Ryan's a statue in the pocket. And football is trending away from that kind of quarterback more and more every year. Now, look, no one's ever going to bench Tom Brady. He's got seven Super Bowls. Matt Ryan's got none, right? I mean, you cannot compare the careers of Matt Ryan and Tom Brady. You can compare the seasons. And Matt Ryan's got a better record this year than Tom Brady. After, you know, even an 0-2 start, he since then has gone 3-1-1. Tampa Bay is 3-4. Tom Brady's staring down a three-game losing streak for just the second time in his career. Hasn't happened to him in 20 years. Tom Brady does not handle losing well. Some of you can look at that and say, well, that's a leader. That's a guy I want. Others, like myself, can look at that and say, the ship has sailed, buddy. Because Tom Brady is playing the blame game way too much right now. He's blaming his offensive linemen. He's blaming his receivers. He's, I'm sure, soon going to start blaming his head coach, Todd Bowles, and say, oh, well, he's a, you know, he's a defensive coach. He doesn't know how to craft an offense like Bruce Arians could. Tom Brady is blaming everyone but himself. And the truth is, Tom Brady's distracted. He's going through a divorce. At first, they were just rumors. Now they seem very, very substantial. And that's ugly. And I feel for the guy. Because it's no fun, no matter what your profession is, whether you're in the public like Brady or whether you're in private, it's no fun to have to go through something of that scale in your personal life. And it's distracting. And, you know, if he was an accountant, if he was a lawyer, if he was working the drive through at Wendy's, it would be tough to do your job well when you've got that going on. Now put it in the public spotlight and everyone's talking about it and Antonio Brown's tweeting about Giselle and there's pictures of her hugging Antonio Brown on t-shirts. It's not easy right now what's going on with Tom Brady's personal life. But at the same time, you made the decision to come back, to unretire, to return to the NFL for whatever reason, whether it was because you really truly wanted to be back or whether it was a selfish move because you didn't want Adam Schefter to be the one to break the news of your retirement. You chose to come back, Tom, And now you're underperforming, not just your team, you are underperforming and you're blaming everyone else. And that's not okay. You're going to weddings on a Friday night when you should be doing walkthroughs. And then you're going out on Sunday and you're losing 21 to three to the Carolina Panthers. You're losing, of course, the wedding weekend was when they were in Pittsburgh playing the Steelers. You're losing to Mitch Trubisky, Tom. That's not acceptable. Tampa Bay's defense Still pretty good. I know they gave up 21 to Carolina. It's not great. 21 in today's NFL, though, also isn't terrible. They gave up, what, 20 to Pittsburgh? Lost that game 20 to 18. 
I mean, Pittsburgh didn't have TJ Watt. They didn't have Minka Fitzpatrick in that game. You're telling me you can't put up three touchdowns on a TJ Watt-less, Minka Fitzpatrick-less Pittsburgh Steelers team? You're telling me you can't put up three touchdowns on the Carolina Panthers? I know they got some studs on defense. Derek Brown, stud. Brian Burns, certified stud. J.C. Horn, got that dog in him in that secondary. You're telling me Tom Brady still can't put up three touchdowns against that Carolina defense? A team that is in disarray, a team that just fired Matt Rule a few weeks into the season. Steve Wilkes, their interim coach down there. You can't put up three touchdowns, Tom. Hall of Famer, first ballot, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl ring. Tom Brady can't put up three touchdowns against Pittsburgh or Carolina. Two teams that right now are probably paying more attention to the 2023 draft board than they are the 2022 season. I mean, he's blaming everyone but himself. And the truth is, Tom Brady, he is the reason the Tampa Bay Bucks are in disarray right now. The majority of the reason. Offensive line injuries don't help. That, that's a given, right? But Tom Brady is, I would say, the biggest reason that the Tampa Bay Bucks right now are three and four and in utter disarray. Whereas Aaron Rodgers, you, you can't say the same for him. Because it, it's the same stuff new year with the Green Bay front office, right? He's got no receivers. They let Devontae Adams go. They trade him to, to the Raiders. And Rodgers' top targets, who? Romeo Dobbs? I mean, Randall Cobb gets hurt. Sammy Watkins gets hurt. Aaron Rodgers is literally throwing to you and I out there. So I actually feel for him a little bit. I mean, you know, he should never be losing to the Washington Commanders. But he's got nothing to work with. And the game calling. And this is why I've argued that Matt LaFleur has always been an overrated head coach. Because Matt LaFleur was winning 13 games every year with Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And it's the same reason I say Nathaniel Hackett shouldn't have gotten a head coaching gig. Because you or I could be the offensive coordinator on a, on a team with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. But here's where the Packers are, are really slipping up right now. Is that they're drawing up the same plays for Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs that they were drawing up for Devontae. And they've got a guy in the backfield by the name of Aaron Jones, who when he touches the ball more than 15 times a game, the team wins over 90% of those games. And they're not getting him touches. He had, what, nine carries last week against the Commanders in what was a two-point loss? You got to get Aaron Jones the damn ball. I don't know what's going on in Green Bay, but Aaron Rodgers, he's not the primary issue. I think coaching incompetence is the issue. Special teams, once again, and I thought that they resolved that by bringing in Rich Bisaccia, one of the best special teams uh, coaches in football a guy who I thought should have been the permanent coach of the Raiders after the great job he did as an interim last year. They brought him in, but their special teams is still faltering, still in utter disarray. I mean, the Green Bay Packers, they've got a million issues going on. Aaron Rodgers is not the primary one. He's not the guy you can point to in the same way that this year, and I'm sticking by it, you can point to Tom Brady and say, you are the primary issue in Tampa Bay right now. I mean, look, if Tampa Bay had, and I'm not going to sound like a homer here and say he's better, but if Tampa Bay had a Daniel Jones at quarterback, they would probably be in a better position to succeed on a weekly basis given the offensive line injuries they've experienced. It's the same reason, and I said it a few minutes ago, I'll come back to it. It's the same reason that Sam Ellinger is getting handed the reins for the rest of the season over Matt Ryan. Because when Things go to you-know-what in the backfield. When the offensive line collapses, Matt Ryan's going down like a ton of bricks. Tom Brady's going down like a ton of bricks. A Daniel Jones, a Sam Ellinger, a Geno Smith. They can work their way out of it. Justin Fields. How many should-be sacks against New England on Monday Night Football did Justin Fields turn into first downs? I saw at least three, including one that was like a 30-yard run that 
I think only four or five guys in the NFL could do. I mean, Justin Fields, he was turning lemons into lemonade that game. His offensive line stinks. I'd argue the Bears have the worst offensive line in the National Football League. And Justin Fields went out there and he ran all over a pretty respectable, pretty good New England Patriots defense. So that's just the direction the NFL is headed in. Tom Brady doesn't fit that mold. Matt Ryan doesn't fit that mold. It's just easier to say to Matt Ryan, a guy who's never won a Super Bowl, hey, you're done for the year, than it is obviously to Tom Brady who, you know, say what you want, Belichick, Arians, Bowles, doesn't matter. Brady's got more control than any coach, any team he goes to. That's just, that's just the fact of the matter. And when he didn't have control in New England, he said, I'm gone. And Tampa Bay doesn't want to do that. After all, he got them their first Super Bowl in 20 years just a couple years ago. They knew this was a short-term project, so they're going to take it and be grateful for whatever they got out of it, unlike Belichick was at the end of Brady's time in New England. But the Bucks, the Packers, in complete, total disarray. And you've got other teams that are looking to capitalize on teams that are in disarray, like whoever might be a potential suitor. For Bradley Chubb, the Denver Broncos say he might be available if they lose to Jacksonville and London this week and drop to two and six on the let Russ cook season. I mean, you've got Russell Wilson doing high knees up and down the aisle of the team's eight hour flight to London. Uh, The team's two and five. No one in that locker room seems to like Russ. I, I mean, I used to love Russ. I don't like Russ anymore. I don't think anyone outside of Sierra likes Russ anymore. The Broncos They're in complete disarray. People were saying that they could win a Super Bowl this year. I'll admit, I was right. I said the Broncos would finish in last place. I still think the Raiders are going to overtake them. Still think the Raiders can make some noise. Denver, this this whole let Russ cook, Mr. Unlimited experience, not working out for those ponies in Colorado. When we come back, Jeff Blum is all set to join the show. We're going back to baseball. The 05 World Series champ, the former Houston Astros. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show up next, as promised, he's a former Houston Astro. He is a 2005 World Series hero, ironically against the Astros. And of course, one of the co-hosts of our Believe in Astros show right here on the Believe Network. Jeff Blum. Jeff, thanks so much for joining the show. I appreciate the opportunity. It's a good time for the Astros, and it's a good time to be on your show. Yeah, it's a great time to be talking about your Astros, man. So let's dive in. I mean, you know, I'm ready to call this team a dynasty. I know that they've only won one World Series, but six straight ALCS appearances, four straight World Series appearances now. Do you think this is the best of, you know, the last six years of Astros teams that we've seen? I tell you what, you know, having having been lucky enough to be on the call for the last 10 years and seeing this run of Astros baseball uh, until they got to 106 wins, until they've won their first seven and have the potential to sweep a postseason, which I don't think has ever been done, which is ludicrous to think of because in the playoffs, you've got the best of the best playing in the postseason. But if if they if they do end up winning this World Series, I would have to say that this is the best Astros team ever. And that would I, I have a hard time saying that just because calling the season of 2019, mm-hmm. when they were putting up numbers offensively that were in comparison for the Bronx Bombers of the New York days in the early night or the late 1920s, that's when I kind of sat back and said, oh, my gosh. We are watching the greatest baseball team in Astros history in 2019. And then you went out there and you had Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Lance McCullough, you know, all these guys in this fantastic bullpen and pitching staff to match up with the offense. But you have a very good offense in 2022 
But this pitching staff and what this rotation has been able to do throughout the course of the season and into the postseason, and then to have a lockdown bullpen that is as consistent and as good as they are right now, they win that World Series. They would probably put themselves at the top of the list saying that they were the best Astros baseball team in franchise history, hands down. And, and you know, it's crazy because you, you mentioned the bullpen, right? And one thing I've been telling people is Philly, you know, top two guys, maybe even three guys in their rotation, they, they can go head to head, put them up against almost any other team in baseball, right? But it's when you look at the bullpen, Philly's had some great performances from, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Alvarado, David Robertson. But if you get to a Phillies starter early, you could really be setting them up for a disaster the rest of the series. Whereas Houston, if, you know, say Verlander <laughs> gets touched up, you've got two great starters in Garcia and Urquidy that can come out of the bullpen. And, you know, you're not having to go through a Breu, Norris, Presley, Stanek, Montero right off the bat. It's the depth that they have in their bullpen and having, you know, six starting pitching options. It's just I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, they've got legit six guys on that roster that have been stretched out and are able to go deep enough. And you saw it in that Seattle Mariners series with that first game where they got to Justin Verlander. But they continued to bring guys out of the bullpen that kept the game right where it was at and allowed enough time for that offense to come back and win that ball game with a phenomenal walk-off home run from Jordan Alvarez. And then you fast forward to game three where they went 18 innings and had you know, Lance McCullers go six shutty. And then you had uh, Luis Garcia come out of the bullpen later in that game, and he went five or six shutout. And hearing Josh Miller, the Astros pitching coach, talk about it after the game, he's like, we could have played about 30 innings if you wanted to <laughs> because we had Jose Urquidy waiting in the wings behind Luis Garcia, who stretched out and could probably give you five or six innings. So it is, it's kind of an embarrassment of, of riches for them and the ability to go out there and use those guys. But to your point about the bullpen, you know, Ryan Presley is the quote-unquote closer. He is closing those games, so he's got the ninth. But Dusty Baker has the opportunity from the sixth inning on to mix and match whoever he wants out there because he has guys with closing ability and Ryan Stanek, Hector Neris, Brian Abreu, Rafael Montero. And that's what makes those games a little bit easier and takes maybe a little bit of stress off the starting rotation who absolutely lives to go six innings. Yeah, it, it, it's ridiculous. But looking at your opponent, looking at the Philadelphia Phillies, yeah. What impresses you the most about this team that didn't clinch a postseason berth until the second to last day of the regular season? Yeah, it's pr I'm actually thoroughly impressed. And we've got to remind ourselves that Joe Girardi was the manager of this team early on. You know, you kind of forget about it because, uh, because of how well Rob Thompson has done in getting this group to finally believe in themselves. You and I look at a piece of paper and you see that roster and you're going, dude, these guys are going to be great. But it wasn't until Rob Thompson moved in and really got these guys believing and really everybody pushing in the right direction and everybody believing in themselves and then believing in that other guy that's next to them. And that's why they're playing so well. But there's nothing uh, nothing worse than facing a team that has nothing to lose like the Phillies. Uh, and then you also put into the fact that they're on an absolute heater right now with their pitching is getting good. They're playing just good enough defense, but the timely hitting they're get, getting with the power is what's really remarkable to me and kind of, you know, sets sets up for the great pitching versus the great hitting in the Philadelphia Phillies. And that's where the Astros are going to have to make adjustments. They're going to have to limit walks because if you limit walks, then you have the solo home run and you don't necessarily get beat by the solo home run. It's when you give up the damage that, you know, the multiple home runs or the multiple run home runs where you have the two, three run home run on and you're like, oh man, now we got a hole to dig out of. But uh, this Phillies team is uh, lightning in a bottle right now. They're getting great at bats. Bryce Harper's timed up at the right time. And Reese Hoskins has been an absolute menace at the plate with his timely home runs.
Yeah, I mean, Hoskins is a guy who all season, it was like, when's he finally going to wake up? And, you know, he, <laughs> he chose the right time. Yeah. You know, I, I've drawn a lot of comparisons between this Phillies team and last year's Braves squad. Because people are quick to forget, yeah. you know, the Braves this year, 101 wins. They were favorites, you know, start to finish. Everyone was always scared of Atlanta. But last year, they were an 88-win division champ that, you Good know, point. people were like, eh, Dodgers will make quick work of them in the NLCS, right? And, and they yep. end up being champs because of timely hitting, timely home runs, unsung heroes, guys like Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario. Do you see an eerie uh, comparison here between these two teams? Yeah, I think there are some comparisons, and that's where you get those guys that have that belief that they can go out there and compete with anybody out there. And that's really what the Braves and Snicker established late in that season. And being able to set a game plan and execute a game plan like the Braves did last season against the Dodgers and going out and beating them, I think that the Phillies may have learned a little bit from watching those guys and kind of adapted it to their situation here in the championship series going against the you know the San Diego Padres. But getting past some of those teams earlier in the rounds is if we get saying to yourself, if we keep these games close, we're one swing away. Bryce, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, some of these guys can surprise you. All of a sudden you've got a home run and the game is over. But getting to those guys in the back end of the bullpen is everything. So I think it's great to see guys like Nola stepping up, seeing Zach Wheeler. Who knew he had 98 sitting in the tank with 92 mile an hour cutters? He looks absolutely devastating. It's a good matchup, right-handed pitchers against a heavy right-handed hitting lineup in the Astros. So things are kind of lining up in the same direction. But that kind of goes back to your point with the Braves. They got very good pitching at the right time, and then they got that timely hitting. And you're going to have to have some of those surprises. When you get into these series where pitching staffs are able to match up and pitch accordingly to try and suppress some of those bigger names that we talk about, you're going to have to have like the Gene Segura's or some of those other guys in the bottom part of the lineup step up and do something. And the Astros have actually had a couple of guys like uh, Chaz McCormick step up and do that. You need those guys. Yeah, McCormick's home run at Yankee Stadium. You know, look, as, as a Met fan, I'm not going to hide it. I can't stand the Yankees. That was a perfect Join Yankee the club. Stadium home run. 314 <laughs> feet, front row. I mean, that yep. was... And, you know, you, you got to adjust to the park that you're playing in. That, that was beautiful. Yeah. Maldonado. Well, he, and the roof was even open. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, I, I will say Maldonado, too, has had some really timely hits. He's been good yeah. at flipping the lineup over. And, you know, it's just been one to nine. No easy out. I do want to ask, because we're talking about the Phillies. You know, I mentioned they clinched on the second to last day of the season. What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on the new playoff format? Do you think that there should be any reform? The Astros, one seed, you know, haven't lost the game. It hasn't affected them. But in the National League, the lower seed has won every series this yeah. postseason. So are you a fan of the of the new format with the bye weeks? What, what, what do you think about that? Um, it, you know, it's it's kind of tough because because we all know that baseball is a rhythmic type sport, especially for hitters. Pitchers, I think, are able to take those longer breaks and be able to bounce back because you'll be in the bullpen, not pitch for five days. You'll come out and shove. Uh, starting pitchers go once every five days. So there's kind of, they, they have their rhythm with those days off built in, but I think hitters are the ones that really have the issue. Do they have the ability to adapt and, and really get back into the timing and rhythm of their swing and seeing the pitch out of the hand. And that's where the issue is created. And that's where a lot of the, the conversations are going to be had. But I said this before the playoffs even started, I, I said, all it's going to take is a Yankee team to get knocked out or a Dodger team to get knocked out before you go, we have to change the format <laughs> because we're losing big market teams and we're losing 111 win teams. But at the same time, the beauty of it is, is that you can have a run like the Philadelphia Phillies or get the San Diego Padres to upset the Dodgers 
to really create a, you know, an interesting storyline in the, the National League Championship Series. And it goes back to March Madness. Everybody loves a great Cinderella story, but by the end of it, usually the better team will end up winning. So, you know, being in Houston, I hope that's what happened. But I think it's a lot of fun to really bring the attention to a Phillies team that is very good. The only issue I would have right now as we stand is is with the second round seeding. So you have the wildcard teams playing. I would like to see it reseed itself mm. when you get to that division series. Because if you're if you're the Dodgers, you'd rather play the lowest seed on there. Yeah. If you're the Astros, you'd rather play a lower seed than the than the Seattle Mariners if there is one that advances. You know, I think the NHL does that, and I think that's that might be the only adjustment I would make to it right now. But it, with the lockout removed next year, maybe it's easier to line these things up and uh, create a little less space in between. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually think that's a great idea, the, the proposal of reseeding, because when you win 111 games, you should be able to play yeah. the, you know, quote-unquote easiest remaining opponent. Jeff, before we wrap it up, I, I want to give you your propers here. You know a thing or two about being clutch in the World Series. Ironically, though, you spent, what, five, six years with Houston? And yep. your big moment came in your one year on the south side of Chicago against the Houston Astros, <laughs> a team that, like potentially this Astros team, start to finish was just a juggernaut, swept Houston in the World Series. Walk us through that 14th inning home run for the White Sox, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've been working tirelessly as a broadcaster trying to make up for that 2005 season. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, going back back in time, we just we just hinted at it. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, there's some guys in the bottom part of the order that are going to have an opportunity to have an impact, and that's kind of where I found myself back before the DH was instituted full-time. There was a, an opportunity in a National League ballpark to have the double switches, to have the pinch hits, and it took a 14-inning game to sneak me in there and you know, truth be told, in that four, 14th inning, I was coming up third behind Jermaine Dye and Paul Konerko. And in my mind, I'm getting mentally prepared. I'm like, man, Jermaine Dye can't get out. He's going to be on base. Paul Konerko has been crushing the baseball. I'm going to have to bunt. In my head, <laughs> I was like, man, I'm going to have to lay down a sacrifice bunt in my only at bat in the World Series. And unfortunately, or fortunately in this case, uh, Konerko hit into a double play. And it kind of settled me down a little bit. I was more nervous about trying to bunt than having it bat. And uh, I stepped into the box. I knew that my former team and former teammates had a pretty good book on me. And I just sat on a fastball away and, you know, trying to get a base hit and move it along for Aaron Rowan and Joe Creedy behind me. And, you know, Ezekiel Estacio misses his spot by a good foot and a half and throws it into that happy spot. And I just went dark, dropped the barrel, and it shot it out of the ballpark and uh, for, for the greatest moment of my career. Incredible, incredible. And now you've got a statue to commemorate that forever <laughs> alongside. I mean, how cool is that for you? Look, I, I promise, yeah. zero disrespect. But to have to be a part of that statue with a guy like Paul Konerko, who obviously had oh. you know a borderline Hall of Fame career. And, and who else is on that statue? Um, Juan yeah, Uribe. Kuzinski, Uribe. Yeah, uh, I mean, Konerko was on there a couple of times for what he did in the World Series. How incredible is that for you? It's 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 hard it's hard to explain. You know, I've been asked that question so many times, and I really don't have a legitimate or go-to answer. Just because every time somebody says, you know, oh man, Jeff Blunt statue, it does it it doesn't really register or compute. And uh, the fact that it's out there, and the fact that uh, you know, when my daughters are giving me a hard time saying you're a washed-up athlete, you did, you know, what would you do in your career? I can always take them to Chicago and go, well, look, I did one thing right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that was hit that ball out of the ballpark. But I'm eternally grateful for what the White Sox have given me as far as opportunities, but also then to be uh, to be remembered in that in that light is pretty, pretty special. 
not too many guys go somewhere for one season and get a statue out of it, man. It's like you and if, if Brady had retired after his one year in Tampa Bay, you'd be in the same light there. Incredible. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, totally equals. <laughs> Jeff no, Blum, Tom Brady forever. I love it. I love it. Jeff, thanks so much for joining the show. That's former Houston Astro, 2005 World Series champ, and of course, current co-host of Believe in Astros, Jeff Blum. We'll be right back with my final word on Serralo Sports Talk. All right, it's time for my final word right here on this episode, episode 85 of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. What an incredible spot right there from Jeff Blum. Special thanks to him for joining the show ahead of this World Series. And uh, I've got to do it, guys. I've got to make y'all some money. Last week, I said I was going to be extra generous and that I was going to give not one, but two bets in my final word. And what did I do? I went 2-0. I gave you Giants plus three, gave you Chiefs minus two and a half. Both of them were winners. I went 6-0 on Sunday. Six winners, 10 units total. I mean... I'm on a hot streak and I'm a good guy. So I want to help spread the wealth. I want to share the picks with the people and I'm going to give you two more this week, one in college and one in the NFL that I absolutely love. Starting with college football, I love Ole Miss minus two and a half at Texas A&M and get this line while it's hot because I foresee this line moving outside of the field goal range. It's currently within Look, Texas A&M, we talk about the Packers, we talk about the Buccaneers, the Aggies are in disarray. They're 3-4 and four this season. They've lost to Appalachian State. They've lost to a South Carolina team that I'm sorry, I'm not buying into. I don't think Spencer Rattler is all that in a bag of chips. Texas A&M was supposed to be a top 10 team. They're 3-4. and four. Ole Miss, on the other hand, was 7-0, and oh, went to Baton Rouge, went up 17-3 on LSU, and collapsed. I don't think Lane Kiffin is going to let his team flounder two weeks in a row. I think Ole Miss is going to be ready for this game. And A&M, three players just got suspended indefinitely for smoking weed in the locker room after the game. Guys all over are talking about transferring, quitting. A&M is in disarray. Jimbo Fisher's lost his locker room. Ole Miss, minus two and a half. Get it while you can still on Saturday. And then on Sunday, the Tennessee Titans, also minus two and a half. Some places might even have it minus two. Take them against the Houston Texans. They are four and one in their last five games against the Houston Texans. And while they've only covered in two of those last five games that Ryan Tannehill's led the Titans against Houston, they've won all four of their victories by three or more points. This line is under a field goal. The Texans, look, I think Davis Mills, you can argue, might be the best rookie from last year's quarterback class, right? Second year guy, I'm talking, you know, last year's draft class. You know what I mean? He still doesn't have enough around him to stop a Tennessee team that has won four straight and covered four straight since their terrible 0-2 start. Roll with Mike Vrabel, roll with the Titans. They're playing good inspired football right now, minus two and a half. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Jeff Blum. Special thanks to all of you for tuning in to another one of my 85 episodes. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.